What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Today we continue our series on the miracles of Jesus. Last week we looked at the story of Jesus curing a blind man. Strangely, the man was only half cured initially, but then Jesus laid his hands on him again and was fully healed. Uh, but we saw how not only was this man cured, but, was also, but also the partial blindness of the other followers of Jesus was cured too. Uh, too often we struggle with the miracles and the other parts of the Bible so much that we miss the bigger work Jesus is doing. Jesus didn't come to this earth to perform a bunch of nice miracles for people back then. He came to offer hope and healing for all people everywhere. Jesus' healing miracles open us up to the possibilities God has for us. Miracles today can have the same impact. Once someone could not walk, yet now they do, and it's directly attributable to the healing power of God. Now we look at a different kind of miracle from Jesus. Joe is going to read for us. This doesn't involve a specific healing, but rather a dramatic encounter with a demon. This healing is spiritual in nature. It occurs early in Jesus' ministry. Some of the religious leaders have accused Jesus himself of being demon-possessed, but he argues, how can a house divided against itself stand? He performs many healing miracles, teaches about the kingdom of God, and has just calmed a storm, which we'll focus on another week. That's when he crosses the sea at night and meets a man known as the Gerizine Demoniac. This is the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. Hear now the word of the Lord. They came to the other side of the lake, to the country Jerasus. And when he had stepped out of the boat, immediately a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. He lived among the tombs, and no one could restrain him anymore, even with a chain, for he had often been restrained with shackles and chains, but the chains he wrenched apart, and the shackles he broke in pieces, and no one had the strength to, to, to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and bruising himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he had said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. He begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there on the hillside, a great herd of swine was feeding and the unclean spirits begged him, send us into the swine, let us enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned in the lake. The swine herds ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the demoniac sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, 
the very man who had had the legion, and they were afraid. Those who had seen what had happened to the demoniac and to the swine reported it. Then they began to beg Jesus to leave their neighborhood. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus refused and said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. And from Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, make us an inclusive community, passionately following Jesus Christ. Work in our hearts and lives that we might recognize the Spirit at work and rightly discern your will. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There's an old joke that starts with the devil showing up in the middle of a church service, and it terrifies the congregation. People get up screaming and running for the exits. After everyone is gone, there is one single person sitting calmly in the sanctuary. The devil is confused by this and asks the woman, aren't you going to run away? And the woman says, no. Well, why not? Don't you know who I am? The woman says, I sure do. The devil is stunned and upset, but I'm the devil. How could you possibly not be afraid of me? And the woman answers calmly, I've been married to your brother for 25 years. When I was in graduate school, I remember signing up for a summer class called Christus Victor. That's Latin for Christ as Victor, and usually refers to Jesus' victory over sin and death. I didn't bother to read the summary of the class because it was taught by my favorite history professor. I thought I can't go wrong in a class with him, so why not? You would not believe my surprise when the class began to dive into the history of spiritual powers and demons. By the end of the semester, we were studying a manual from the Catholic Church on demon possession and exorcism. Thankfully, the final exam was not to cast out a demon ourselves. I'm sure none of us would have passed if it was. But the class did force me to re-examine my beliefs about the spiritual realm. When I was younger, I grew up surrounded by people who believed in demon possession and could find a demon at work just about anywhere. If you misplaced your car keys, the devil did it. Did you catch a cold on the day of a big presentation at work? More demons at work. Like the old Flip Wilson joke, everything bad you did, you did because the devil made me do it. I was told demons were everywhere and human sin occurred because of these sneaky devils. As I grew older, though, I saw some of the flaws in this thinking. Why would a demon make me misplace my keys? Isn't it more likely I misplaced them because I didn't sleep well the night before? And isn't a cold caused by a virus? Wasn't, what's the difference between a virus floating in the air and catching in your nose or mouth versus a demon making you sick anyways? Though some may see devils everywhere, I'm more inclined to think 
Science does, in fact, understand the source of many illnesses and diseases. The trouble is, there are many things we simply don't understand. A recent article in The Atlantic described a survey done of thousands of young teenagers. They were assigned to one of two classes. One was a standard health class, and the other offered a version of a mental health treatment plan known as dialectical behavior therapy. At the end, researchers took a look at the results. Did the therapy help improve the mental health of the teenagers? The answer shocked them. The therapy seemed to make the kids worse. They had worse relationships with their parents, increased depression and anxiety. They were less emotionally regulated, less aware of their emotions, and had a lower quality of life than the group that had no therapy at all. What in the world happened? Why would all the science and psychological tools we know of make the mental health of young teenagers worse? It's very confusing, and because we understand so little of it, we might come to a conclusion that basically says, if I understand it, it's science and medicine, but if I don't understand it, it's from the spiritual realm. Now, I don't know that's not everyone. Some people say there is no spiritual world at all. There is nothing at all beyond the physical reality we experience. But most of us probably believe something in the middle. There are some things that are physical and some things that are spiritual. But how can you tell the difference? Richard Gallagher is probably the person that is the be in the best position to help us out. He studied the classics at Princeton, psychiatry at Yale, and psychoanalysis at Columbia. If there is anyone who has the training to identify a person with mental health issues, it's him. Yet in the 1980s, he was asked to help with a very strange case, one of a woman who declared herself the queen of Satan. He said this woman could tell someone about their secret weaknesses. She could tell you how people she'd never met had died, including Richard's own mother, who died from ovarian cancer. Others witnessed her speaking multiple languages, including perfect Latin, which she had no knowledge of outside of her trance state. It was all too much to simply reject as fake. He went on to consult on more demon possessions than anyone in the entire United States. His take is that many people reject demon possession because what they usually see is mental illness. The vast majority of situations we experience, he says, are mental illness, not demon possession. Possession is very, very rare. It's so rare that even with all his experiences, he's only seen it a few dozen times. The other problem is all the people that proclaim themselves to be possessed. They tell the world they have demons in them, but really it's just another sign of mental illness. That can cause many people to be skeptical. But in those rare situations where the possession seems legitimate, the evidence to Richard is just too compelling. Though he is a trained psychologist, his years of experience tell him sometimes demon possession is real. So what do we make of what Jesus encounters? Though casting out demons is mentioned dozens and dozens of times in the Gospels, there are only 
five specific stories of demon possession. That seems relatively rare to me. Jesus comes to the Gerizim demoniac in the middle of the night when the powers of evil are thought to be at their strongest. This is a dramatic encounter to see who has the real power. The demoniac has some unique abilities here. He has superhuman strength so that he can break chains and shackles. Now, we might initially chalk this up to maybe shoddy workmanship, right? Uh, Maybe they just didn't know how to make good chains, so he broke them easily. Maybe he just banged the shackles against the rocks until they broke. But when it says no one had the strength to subdue him, it makes you start to wonder, is this strength a sign of real demon possession? Then it describes how he would howl and cut himself with stones. Uh, This is another signal of pagan worship and self-mortification and supernatural strength are two signs of demon possession that still occur in many cultures even today. There's one last part of this story early on that is important but easy to miss. The encounter is written a little out of order, but if you put it back, this is how it goes. Jesus commands the demon to come out of the man. The man says, what have you to do with me, Jesus? Jesus asks, what is your name? And the man responds that his name is Legion, for there are thousands of demons at work in him. This is the second story now where we see Jesus doing something, and it does not immediately result in a miracle. Last week, it was a blind man that could only partly see. Now it is thousands of demons that reject being cast out of this man. This may seem a bit scary. How can Jesus not cast out all these demons immediately? In ancient times, they understood magic to have higher and lower spirits. The higher spirit had command of the lower spirits. And there's this strange story in Acts chapter 19 where some Jewish exorcists named the seven sons of Sceva try to cast out demons. They would say, I assure you by Jesus whom Paul proclaims, they were trying to gain control of the demons by asserting the spirit of a higher power. But the demon replied to them in the story, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? And the demon-possessed man attacked them and overpowered them so that they all fled out of the house. It says they left naked and wounded. One demon-possessed man overpowered seven men. Clearly, that exorcism did not go as planned. With Jesus, the demon thinks he has the upper hand. There is a legion of demons at work in him, and so he must have the higher-ranking spirit in him, right? When the demon-possessed man says, I assure you by God, do not torment me, he is actually putting a curse on Jesus and an incantation to protect himself. He is saying, if you keep tormenting me, God will punish you. What these demons don't know is that this magic is powerless against Jesus. Quickly, they come to know that they are about to be defeated by a much stronger spiritual force. That's when they beg Jesus to send them into the pigs. Now, the last time I looked at this passage, I thought about these poor pigs. It seems like Jesus is forcing these pigs to die as he casts out the demons. And in Judaism, pigs were considered vile creatures. 
But I noticed something else this time. I couldn't find more proof of it, but in verse 10, the man begs Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the country. We hear that word country, and we think, oh, he's sending them out of this land and into another land. But that's not quite what that word means. That word country is specifically as opposed to the sea. And then uh, it's, it's almost as if Jesus here is casting these demons out of the man and into the sea. And then they beg to go into the pigs instead. Yet even when Jesus grants them this mercy, they are still compelled to go into the sea. They cannot escape, even in their begging and pleading, that initial command of Jesus. Plus, in Jewish thinking, because the demons had gone into the pig and then died, these demons are gone. We usually think of demons as some kind of quasi-eternal beings, but back then, if the host of the demon died, then the demon itself died. That means Jesus isn't just removing the demon so it can go and possess someone else. It means Jesus commanded this spirit out of the land and into the sea, and by going into the sea, possessing pigs, these demons would bother no one ever again. I have a pastor friend that told me once he calculated the worth of these pigs. It's something like $4 a pound times 200 pounds per pig. And a legion in the military was four to 6,000 soldiers. So that, that many pigs would be worth something like $3 million. That is an incredibly valuable herd. And everyone else had written off this possessed man. They left him to live in the graveyard. They tried to control him, and when they couldn't, they gave up on him. When Jesus meets him, though, he sees a man worth far more than three million dollars. He sees a man of infinite worth to God. I'm not sure if you believe any more in demon possession and spiritual power at work in this world, but I am certain that what we can learn from this story is the power of Jesus and the incredible value he places on every single person. Jesus is not concerned with this man's past or the demons that control him. He sees a child of God that needs to be freed. I wonder, do you see people that way? When someone is living on the street, whether it's mental illness or demon possession that put them there, do you scoff at them? Do you think less of them because of their situation? Or do you see someone worth millions? We can get so wrapped up in a person's past or their sins that we actually convince ourselves that they are not valuable to God. This story reminds us that to God, the exact opposite is true. Whoever you are, wherever you come from, whatever you've done, you are worth it to God. When you think about the implications here, this is a big deal. We can't look at someone's cuts and scars and think we have them all figured out. 
when someone is in AA or trying to get their life back together, I don't think God is telling us, demand that they are perfect. Make them act like angels on the outside. No, God wants our hearts. God wants us to find freedom and peace in him. And maybe you've tried that. You were like Jesus saying, demon, get out. Not that the person is bad or unworthy, but look, demons are bad. Let's love the person and get rid of the junk in our lives. Maybe you tried, and it didn't work. Maybe you got some resistance from that person you wanted to help, or there is bad blood between you and someone you want to get better. I implore you to appeal to a higher power. Look to Jesus to destroy the evil at work in that person's life. Pray that Jesus would show a way forward and restore that relationship. This isn't magic. This is what Jesus does as he takes control of the spiritual world and frees us from the things that possess us. Let's end with one last story here. Uh, Heath was deeply involved in the occult as well as addiction. He remembers watching a chair slide across the floor and a candle floating off of a coffee table. His encounters with the supernatural led him to look for answers. When he was in eighth grade, a girl noticed him and heard God say to her, pray for that young man. You are going to marry him one day. So she did. She kept praying for him, even as he continued to have demonic encounters, became addicted to drugs, and started to look like a living skeleton. Then in his junior year, he asked his physics partner about religion, and he invited Heath to go to church with him. Heath went and then gave his life over to the Lord. He says he believed God loved him exactly as he was and that God's presence was so real it was like he was breathing in his face. His body was instantly healed and his substance addictions vanished. The very next day, a letter was in his mailbox, a handwritten letter from that girl in eighth grade. Eventually, she shared with him her prayer journals, and how much she had been praying just for him. One day they would indeed get married, and Heath saw not just the power of the prayers of a young woman, but how much Jesus loved him, exactly as he was. God longed to draw him out of darkness and into the light. This is what God wants for all of us, to, to be drawn out of darkness and into the light. You are the means by which God chooses to rescue someone in the darkness. Pray for them. Pray that God's will would be done and that Jesus might free them from the demons that torment them or bring healing to their bodies so they can live fully for God. This is the good news that Jesus has done so much for us and has shown us his great mercy. Now it's time for us to go and show that same mercy to the world because they are worth it. Amen? Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.